That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jake, we are back, we are fatter, and we are rested. We've come back from vacation. We're recording here now for the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, uh, which is Sunday, August 16th. How are you? I am doing well because I am wearing my elastic pants, and so, um, but uh, yes, uh, summer was good, you know, um, not much to do, a lot of things were closed, so we just sat around, and in the Catskills, I go to this, like, German butcher, and um, I ate a lot of German bologna and pretzels, mm. and so, and um, that's how I spent a lot of my time. Did some hikes, but um, yeah, I definitely enjoyed the food. And so See, I'm wearing my elastic pants. Listeners, these are the kinds of insights into the inner life of a preacher that you get by listening to the same old song. That's you right. learn that Jacob likes German bologna, and mm-hmm. uh, he's a big fan of 40-ounce malt liquor, which I'm watching him drink right <laughs> now. And I, by malt, I mean Pellegrino. Yeah, I and a German bologna is the only bologna that I'm into. <laughs> so but anyway, I don't like to. I You're don't like. like I don't like baloney in the pulpit, that's for sure. Yes. You're like simultaneously <laughs> low class and high class. It's like the worst meat in the world, but you get it the fanciest way possible. I love it. Yeah, that's well, right. So, uh, well, C- we should... Seamill C- C- used to set Picator. So anyway. That's right. But, um, <laughs> if you uh, needed to know what is the official sausage of Mockingbird, now you know. It is bologna, yeah. the processed yeah. meat of champions. Mm. All right. Well, here we are. We are... Um, we're in the dog days of summer, and um, don't most of us don't know whether we should open or stay closed or have a Zoom conference or whatever, but nonetheless, the gospel still needs to be preached, and we are here to assist the people with that. And so today's readings are Genesis 45, verses 1 through 15. We kind of close out the book of Genesis. Then we move into Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 2 and 29 through 32, which is a very tricky passage. And then it gets even trickier with Matthew chapter 15, bracketed 10 through 20, and then 21 through 28. And so um, uh, let's take it away. And so uh, we have Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. And what's uh, what's crack-a-lackin' there, Aaron? <laughs> Well, Joe is having an emotional moment. It's a tearjerker of a family reunion. He uh, shows emotions, which is great. It's always great to see. You know, there's all this uh, hullabaloo men yeah, so this often. Is... People in general are often taught not to have emotions. There's that old New Yorker cartoon where a mom's telling her daughter, you know, when, by the time I was your age, I was much better at repressing my emotions than you are. But uh, Joseph just lets it all out. So, you know, he's had this incredible story where his brothers did him wrong, sold him into slavery. They were going to kill him, but then they backed off and said, we'll just sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, has a real rough go in Egypt, but he uh, advances to the second highest post in the land. He's the prime minister. Pharaoh. That's right. And he's, because of a divine revelation, he's saved 
a bunch of grain, a bunch of food, and the rest of the ancient Near East is suffering this famine, so that's why his brothers have come back to him. They don't realize who he is, and this is the moment where he is about to reveal yeah. to them. This is this and is it, the Mori Povich moment here, um, yeah, you know, but instead right. of you're not we the father. We have a special guest, right. <laughs> or you're the father. It's like, I am the brother. And so it's anyway. It's also a little bit like uh, the end of Scooby-Doo when the villain like removes the Oh, that's the right. Mask, that's good. You know? Jinkies. But again, in so a good anyway, way, in a good yeah. way. So he's he's going to make himself known to his brothers. He's weeping so loud. You can see, like, all the servants are eavesdropping at the door, like, what is going on? Joseph mm. is really losing it back there. Um, and so he tells them, and it, there's this great uh, dramatic irony, like, what is Joseph going to do? We kind of have this, we know what's going on, but Joseph's brothers don't. And if, again, if you and I were writing this, or if this followed normal human impulses, Joseph would be like, come closer to me. I'm your brother. Now you're going to die. Like he would whip out the AK and just mow them all down or something like well, that. Yeah, and, and that actually, but that actually, um, there's, I mean, what the, the passage actually cuts out is earlier in chapter 44, this does kind of happen. If you remember, uh, Joseph slips a cup into, right. I believe, Benjamin's uh, bag. And I mean, and it's about to come down, you know, he's like, um, he's about to kill them, and uh, you know they're all freaking out. And he's 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 really pushing the bruise there, and he wants he to see these guys for tremble. Theft. Yeah, yeah, and so and uh, that is you know regardless what they've done, um, that is like that is a moment. And then you come to this moment where he starts to weep, and Joseph says to his brothers, "Come closer to me." This is like almost the moment of absolution. This is like like. This is the place of forgiveness and yeah. uh, in this passage um, where Jesus, uh, Joseph actually kind of on a profound level is foreshadowing uh, the work of Jesus. Yeah, for sure. And he, so he goes from somebody who's rejected and in that very rejection, in that dark night of the soul, which was a really long time. I mean, he's imprisoned. He's, a ju- yeah, inju- a long he's unjustly accused. I mean, there's a lot of messianic and Christological you know, neon signs here pointing towards Jesus. So, and his rejection ends up being the thing that saves his family, saves his people, uh, and, and and saves a large chunk of the world because of this famine. So, we see a lot of things here. This idea that God is at work in the dark times when it looks like the wheels are coming off. Uh, God is at work in the times when you feel abandoned. Uh, God is at work through rejection. God is at work in times of suffering. Uh, and this is an incredibly joyful moment. And it's one that is enabled because of the forgiveness that Joseph shows to his brothers. And he could either demand what's right and punish them, or he could forgive. And you see the, just the power of that. And this incredibly compassionate word where he says, don't be angry with yourselves. That is so gracious because we've all been on the receiving end of forgiveness that makes us feel even more guilty. Uh, mm. And uh, that's not what happens here. In this very dysfunctional family where the father had favorites and played them against each other and there's jealousy among the siblings. And it's just like everybody's family. Uh, but here it has this incredible... Um, uh, beautiful reunion, reunification, and, and redemption. Yeah. I think that that's a, that's an important point to keep to keep in mind when you're preaching on this text. Is that um, it, it was God at work here, you know, mm-hmm. and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. 
Um, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. And, you know, it just that, that is reiterated over and over and over again, that God is at work um, oftentimes in real, real terrible things. And uh, thank goodness um, uh, this wasn't a fair family. Thank goodness this was a dysfunctional mm. family that led to actually him being thrown in a pit. Um, because had that not happened, they all would have starved like yeah. that's you know yeah and the the promise wouldn't have happened and so we never want fairness we want a an electing god who chooses and in the midst of that uh cho has chosen you in the midst of your bleakest hour but is working something out beautiful for salvation and i think it you know just one more thing to mention here uh is that um joseph is honest about what actually happened. He says, yeah. I am Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. So this Oof. sometimes families That's preserve true. the peace by not talking about what happened, by sweeping it under the rug, and that is not what happens here. That is a, uh, it's a false imitation of peace. Uh, and that's a code of silence. And what happens here is Joseph is completely honest. He gets it out there in the open. Uh, but he, but as you said, he sees that it was God who was working this. And there's an amazing theological statement where he says, "It was not you who sent me here, but God." Because, mm. it, and this is this is. I said I had one more thing. I have another thing to say, Jake. As a preacher, I'm sure you can't relate to having one more thing to say. But uh, <laughs> the the fact that he says it was not you who sent me here, but God, is problematic and wonderful it's problematic because what it you means bet. what it means is when you god not only works through the good things you do god actually works through the sinful horrible things you do so mm -hmm. these brothers who were full of jealousy bitterness envy and murderous rage who sold their brother in egypt god was at work through that now i can't even begin to unpack the ethical implications of that, or I'm not going to try to build a whole theological framework on it, but that's what I mean when I say it's problematic. It's problematic because it means God's not fair. And God, he'll yeah. work through your good deeds, but he's also, he's perfectly capable of working through your bad deeds too. And thank God he is, because I probably have a lot more bad than good, and he's got to work through all of it. And this is the, and, but, and this is Good Friday. Like God works through the worst possible thing humans could ever do. Mm. That's the final thing I want to say about that. Yeah. Well, um, well, this oh, then begins. Final P.S. <laughs> you thought it was the 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 one the big picture here is that God is saving the whole world because this That's is not right. just this is not just a, a pretty story about the importance of forgiveness. Like we could turn it into a Aesop's Fables. This is the moral of the story: be forgiving. That's not what this is. This is God saying to Abraham, "I'm going to save the whole world that was jacked up in Genesis three." I'm going to save the whole world, put it all back together through someone that's coming. And, of course, that person is coming through Abraham's line. And this is these are his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And, and the land of Goshen, where they're going to go, is where the Israelites are going to grow. And then we're going to get to Moses and all that stuff. So this is, this is how God is working out the plan to save the world, ultimately being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So that's mm. the big picture here. Well, and then you come to Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 2a and 29 through 32. And Paul asks this crazy question, has God rejected these people? And, um, and, uh, and here you have uh, Paul kind of hitting, it's, it's almost a, it's, it's, it's an existential kind of uh, rhetorical question here that he's, he's asking because there's a lot of like Gentile Christians there in Rome and uh, there's a lot of Jewish Christians there in Rome. And so the question is, is you know, what's happened, what happens to my uncle Moisha, you know, and uh, what yes. happens to this situation? 
And uh, has, has God actually rejected these people? And uh, this is a big and an important theological question, which is still posed today. And yeah. uh, of course, Paul's answer is a resounding, by no means. Right. And so this is something that Paul is not theoretical for him. As you said, it's his family, but also everywhere he's gone to preach the gospel, he first goes to the synagogues. And in each place he goes, there are always some of his own Israelite people who receive the message, but there's also always a lot of people who reject it. And so that's the big question for him. Why have not all his fellow brothers and sisters in the people of Israel, why have they not all come joyfully into faith in Christ. And so yeah. what he and he doesn't he he doesn't give sort of this um uh satisfactory answer. Let me tell you why this is happening, but he does say that God's promises are irrevocable. Um and and his point is that it's not that there are like um the Jews who are good and everybody else who's bad or something like that, or the Christians who are good and the Jews are bad. He's not, he just says everybody is under the same, we all have the same problem. We are all disobedient and we all receive mercy. Um, mm. So that's, that's where he ends up on this. And I think if you're going to preach this, I wouldn't try to answer the whole question of, you know, in your sermon, what about Jewish people? <laughs> I think the quest, the, the, the place that you want to take this is, what about you? You know, um, human beings always want to ask those questions. Why, you know, why does this happen to this person, not this other person? And uh, what about other religious groups or people that never hear about Jesus? Or like, those are all versions of the same question. And again, I think the view of Paul here is that everybody is the same, meaning we're all disobedient and... Uh, meaning we're human beings who are self-absorbed and narcissistic and uh, self-righteous and self-justifying and all that sort of stuff. And the answer for all of us is the mercy of God. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, and I think that that's really, really, this is an important um, passage in understanding the gospel that we're about to come upon. So um, there's, of course not. God has not rejected his people. Right. Um, St. Paul is a perfect example of it. He exactly. is a card-carrying descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. A Pharisee dude, of Pharisees. That dude is the insider who became, by God's grace, the apostle to outsiders. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we thank God for it. And then second, um, no, because God always has re reserved a faithful remnant. 7,000 at the time of Elijah. Um, who was convinced he was the only faithful Israelite left on the face of the earth? You know, um, during the, that, uh, even then, at the height of Israel's apostasy, there were seven thousand Israelites who would not bend the knee to Baal. Mm -hmm. And then um, Christian and Baal. Paul's time, yeah, yeah. And then Paul's <laughs> time. I mean, and even today, you know, uh, there's a, an amazing mess. There's several amazing messianic congregations here in uh, New York City. My colleague uh, Ben DeHart, man, he is a he is a he is a Jew, a part of the faithful remnant, and um, and uh, but the the point is is that um, this has never been about building up pride. And if you read the section by which uh, the lectionary conveniently cut out, hmm. um, is that the point is is that um, it's always been about faith. Uh, the Torah, all of these things were never given in order to like say, gosh, dang, I'm doing some amazing things now. Look at me, God. You know, that is the place. Um, the, the point is, is that it's always been about receiving from God. It's always been about believing that God um, is good to you and is merciful to you in Jesus Christ. And that 
in those promises is credited to you as righteousness. Mm-hmm. And, um, and God actually has worked through the rejection of people who think that they're doing it on their own to bring the Gentiles and graft them into the vine. And so once again, going back to even our Genesis reading, God works through rejection. God works through like uh, things that we would say, dang, that's not fair at all, in order to bring about something more glorious, to bring about actually the salvation of the whole world. And so by no means, there are plenty of God's people, and those are the Israelites of God who have received and believed his promises by faith. Ooh. Jake, cooking the and gas. So, and so this brings us right into Matthew chapter 15, parentheses 10 through 20, 21 to 28. And the parentheses part hits it, man. It is not what goes into you that makes you righteous. It is what comes out. This has been the teachings of the prophets. This is what it has been, the teaching uh, all the way back to the beginning. Because if you look at Abraham, that dude, what was going in stunk. But what came out was something glorious, a promise. That's right. You know, there, keep going, uh, keep going. I'm, there's, I'm talking a lot. there's a passage, or I preached on this passage uh, once, and I talked about the old um, saying you'll hear. Sometimes it's discussed as like an ancient Native American proverb. I don't know where it came from. It sounds kind of very uh, American. It sounds straight up from the office. What was it? You remember uh, the English office? And he's like a Native American proverb. Yeah, that's so, right. <laughs> Uh, and the, the, it says inside every person there are there are two two wolves you know a good wolf and a bad wolf and they're in a they're locked in a mortal struggle for your soul and whichever one wins is the one you feed more so you're and basically it's, it's that is it's, the heretic Charles Finney that's well so. yeah so I mean that's why it, it feels like a, it's a very American thing like kind of a do-it-yourself spirituality and you got to put good in so that good will come out. And you see this in the way people talk about eating these days, but also kind of spiritual stuff. And what, and basically, you got to, and the evangelical Christian version of that, for example, would be like, do more Bible reading, do more uh, study of scripture, do more going to churchy stuff. You know, there's an Anglo-Catholic version of this. There's a progressive Christian version of this. But like, you got to walk the labyrinth and do the taze, like get it all in. Mm-hmm. And you will, and then good stuff will come out. And what this passage is saying is that the bad stuff, the bad wolf, it's already baked into the cake. Um, yeah. Because uh, he says it is what, not what you do; it's who you actually are. Right. He says because this, this is was Jesus a whole, articulating original sin. Right. This was a whole debate because the people around Jesus were noticing that his disciples didn't wash their hands correctly when they ate meals, and so they weren't following the religious cleanliness spiritual rules, and were and so these critics were criticizing that practice. And Jesus says, "Look, it's not what goes into your mouth that has any impact on who you are. It's stuff that comes out of your." It's the word you say, it's what's in your heart. Uh, and so um, there's already this fly in the ointment, uh, or the Augustinian phrase, we're already in curvatus in se, curved in on ourselves. All these things, you just anybody who's raised a child knows that they never had to teach that child to be manipulative. The child figures it out on her own because it's yeah. baked into the cake. And so Jesus is, as you said, pointing us to this original sin, this this um, flaw in human beings, and um, the point is to not make you feel bad about yourself, it's to make you honest about yourself, so then you come to this place where you're open to God saving you instead of you saving yourself, which is exactly what we then see in the story that is told next, which is always portrayed as really problematic. Jake, yeah, you, but no. you fix it for us. 
So, so then the next thing, um, so these are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. And so, and then like, like going back to what Paul says, like, you know, uh, the Torah was given to, um, not for us to do, but to realize who we actually are, our condition, um, this is to bring us to our knees. And then so you have Jesus, and he leaves this place, and he goes to the district of Tyre and Sidon, which was a very mixed area. The Philistines. And, um, yep, and uh, there is, uh, cruises in a Canaanite woman. I like the old King James version, a Syrophoenician. But yep. uh, anyway, she comes in, and uh, she starts shouting. But she doesn't just start shouting, hey, fix this for me. This is my right. You know what I mean? This is like, I, I am good. Do this for me. She goes, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Yeah. My daughter is tormented. So right in that very statement, there is the words of faith coming right out. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Not I'm basically a good person and you owe me, but have mercy on me. It's all about the gospel is all about mercy, not merit. Yep. And he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. And, uh, and this is, as we were talking about when we were prepping, when we were prepping for our show. We prep, you know, people. We don't just wing this. <laughs> but uh, they There were, are uh, literally minutes of preparation that go into this. Seconds. So anyway, but um, they, uh, they're expecting him to hold up the Torah. They are expecting him to... Um, they are expecting him to hold up the Torah and Law shoo and order. her away. Yeah. That's right. Um, but what they failed to realize is that he's not the one who lifts up the Torah. This in their midst is the one who fulfills the Torah. And he goes, but he drops it on her. He goes, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, and she says, Lord, help me. And he goes, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Now, <gasps> you know, if you think she's owed something, this is going to make no sense to you at all. Right. But she knows what's up. She knows where she's at. She knows that what the Torah actually does, and Boo Geertz, the great Swedish bishop, makes this point. Um, he says, she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Uh, she, in light of Torah, she, in light of the one who fulfills it, knows who she is. And, uh, and man, that is a word of faith. And that's why Torah was given to Israel, not, as we said, so that they could stand on their own two feet, but that they might lead the world in repentance. And this is the work of the Israel of God, to recognize that we lead the world in repentance, mm. not in righteousness, but in repentance. And uh, that ultimately, we're all dogs. Yes. But we have a God who loves to um, loves loves dogs and uh, loves you and I. Yeah, God's always been more of a dog person. Not, I mean, he made cats, but he doesn't like them. Uh, the the thing here, the reason this passage. But he's is, a woman. Great is your faith. That's that is right. The thing. Let it uh, all be done for you as you wish. So the the thing here, the Jesus 
who seems very mean in this passage. This is why one of the reasons it's problematic. And some people teach this as like this woman is teaching Jesus to be less of a racist or something. Such horse crap. Um, and Jesus here knows exactly what he's saying. And he's saying it because he's giving voice to what the disciples think he should say. <laughs> and he's right. teaching them a lesson. So he's saying all the things. He's quoting the, you know, the rule book at her chapter and verse. And you can see the disciples are nodding, approving like, yes, exactly. He's telling he's Cyro- Jesus. Stick yeah, it. she's she's stick a Gentile, Syrophoenician, our ancient enemy. He's really sticking it to her. But what he's trying to do is is show them actually that she's. Uh, he always does this. It's the, she it's gets the, it. It's the losers and the down and out people that get it, and the rich people that don't. And here, the spiritually lost one is the one who actually understands what's going on. The fact that she is lost. The the disciples' mm. mistake is they think that they stand on higher ground. The, and the, the, what this passage is showing is that we are all, as you said, we're all dogs. This statement, um, which people, people cringe at it when she says, you know, it's, it's, even the dogs eat at their master's table, eat the crumbs. And people are like, oh, this is so offensive to us today because we're people of empowerment and self-actualization. And it feels like she's kind of negging herself a little bit and, and playing into this caste system and, that's not was she just realizes that God is God and she is not and she needs help she needs mercy because she can't solve the problem she is putting in first century theological terms what happens in an AA meeting when somebody says in step one I realized we realized that we were powerless our life had become unmanageable and we were powerless to change it this is an mm. admission of powerlessness and a, it's a it's a call for help from a higher power. Uh, who's standing right in front of her, and uh, it's it's uh, it's the destruction of the ego, which is exactly mm. what you know we're all called to do, and hopefully Jesus is trying to show the disciples and us that's what we need to hear. And that's where the, that's where the heart transplant actually takes place. You know, that's where um, uh, the good things um, really do from the inside out. That's how God operates, you know, is, is cleansing from the inside out. When you recognize who you actually are before a righteous and holy God, um, well, that's, like I said, then, um, then you begin to listen, understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Um, and uh, what comes out is usually um, when you know who you are, comes right from the heart, is a confession. And, uh, and that's what this woman does. And with confession quickly comes uh, absolution and the forgiveness of sins and comes healing and comes uh, transformed families and comes reconciliation and all of these things. Um, but it never begins when we think that we are something more. Amen. Well, I think that'll preach. Uh, good luck, preachers, preaching all these three passages, all sort of thorny, but, but the same idea throughout that... Uh, in in rejection and in the loss of ourselves, God uh, shows up as one who is merciful always. So preach that message. Hear it for yourself as well before you preach to the congregation. God loves you, and so does Jake. I'm still on the fence. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Peace out, everybody. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but... Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, 
We would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.